Welcome to the Worldly Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Holly. And I'm Luke. Today, we're delighted to welcome Whitney Holderman, aka Blonde Atlas, who is going to be sharing about some of her experiences, both in the travel industry, but also her perspectives on well-being in the world. Let's jump on in. So, hello, Whitney. Welcome to the Worldly Wellbeing Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Welcome. Thank you for coming along. Lovely to be here. For those listeners who don't know who you are, would you like to introduce yourself and tell them a little bit about what you do? Sure. So my name is Whitney Haldeman. I'm the founder of Blonde Atlas, which is a travel platform. Um, It started as a creative outlet travel blog um, that I started, gosh, five years ago now. And it's kind of evolved into a travel business. I serve a little bit as a modern day travel agent, um, creating experiences for clients, predominantly Americans who want to see the world, uh, predominantly Europe. And that's also evolved into, I do some group travel now. Um, I've done a, a, some ser- a series of trips called Atlas Adventures. So the first trip I did was last fall in Tuscany. So the goal with these trips is really to bring together like-minded travelers and um, take them, show them what I love so much about a destination. It was kind of a culmination of lots of nomadic travel that I had done. I've really, I just moved to London in the last, um, gosh, three months, but um, I've spent lots of time here because I've been trying to move here for, for a while and um, in the process spent about four years traveling um, for stints at a time. And so, yeah, these trips really are just kind of a culmination of relationships I've built with hotels and tour um, tour operators, lots of travel vendors throughout Europe and wanted a way to create these authentic experiences for other people who maybe don't have the time or the resources to plan something themselves and tend to kind of get trapped in by some of those, you know, cheesy tourists on a on a big bus do you have a flag then Whitney or not (laughs) I do not (laughs) not. (laughs) so talk to Holly about tourists on a bus it will bring out levels of rage that you 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 might not be be ready let's not do that I try to create the opposite of tourists on the bus can I ask a quick question about the name can you just tell us about Blonde Atlas please it's actually the most unexciting story ever. I, I feel like I knew I wanted to start a blog and I never could figure out what I, for a long time I didn't start one because I thought it had to be one subject. It had to be a cooking blog. It had to be, you know, whatever. And before I had really, I started it before I had done any of my long nomadic um, adventures. So I, I couldn't even really, I didn't have enough material to be just a travel blog. Um, so I was like, I want it to be kind of just a lifestyle. Like maybe I talk about health and goals and wellness. Maybe I talk about travel. Maybe I talk about, you know, anything in the world. And so I knew I wanted some sort of world title in there. I literally just wrote out a list of a bunch of different words or things that I liked. I mean, we're talking everything from like champagne to plants to, I just made a list and I was blonde Atlas seemed representative of the world. They kind of clicked and I was just like, huh, that's got a ring to it. So really no excitement there. <laughs> just no, picking I out some that. words. <laughs> I, I can't ever be like a dye my hair red or brunette. It would be so off brand. So I'm kind of <laughs> pigeonholed myself into being a blonde for. Are you a natural blonde? When, when I was a kid, yes. So I, yeah. I'm more, I'm more blonde, I would say. <laughs> as a, as a baby, I was a platinum blonde. Literally, I'm not even, I'm not even exaggerating. My, my curly blonde, they were really tight curls, um, and it was a lot of curly hair. Yes, I was very 
cherubic. <laughs> like now it's really on trend. If I could have hair like that naturally <laughs> now, that would be great. I said I've just got really boring dark it. hair. <laughs> I suppose Bronze Atlas doesn't have quite the same ring to it. <laughs> so uh, Whitney and I met each other in London at um, an event that was being hosted at uh, Bloomsbury Central Baptist Church. And uh, since we met, we realised that we had loads in common and we've had loads of fantastic discussions since then. We've hung out, we've had great Japanese food, we've uh, led a online course together looking at worldview and, and how that is perceived. I have heard your journey and you kind of how you came to setting up Blonde Atlas and kind of how you moved into the space. So how did you get to where you are now? Long story short, I've always had a fascination with travel and an appetite for the world. Um, I didn't really get started with international travel till after uni, predominantly because I feel like Americans, we travel so much within our own country. And there was kind of a um, lack of accessibility that I always was taught that, you know, you had to be really well off. You had, it was really expensive to go to Europe. And so um, my family finally took me in I don't even know. It was a long time ago. <laughs> and um, yeah, I just, I remember I always paint the picture of when I went to Rome for the first time, which is the first place I went in Europe. It was like that scene in the Wizard of Oz where everything goes from black and white to technicolor. And it was just like, I remember palpably feeling this is the most alive I've ever felt. And yeah, so that just that appetite and that curiosity really kept me going. But I had a series of, um, yeah, just things that kind of ma- reset my life. I, I was in a long-term relationship that ended. I got laid off at, at my uh, advertising job where I came from. And so I, I remember just being like, one of my biggest regrets is that I did not study abroad and I want to travel for a little while and kind of leveraged my blog as an opportunity for me to backpack, I would say, but it wasn't backpacking. I was doing partnerships with hotels and things like that. That's the the simple version. But basically just really kind of learned through <laughs> through experiencing it myself that travel didn't have to be this unattainable thing it didn't have to be this you know you spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and really just taught myself to be scrappy and spiraled from there um and snowball effect i guess you could say like the more that i started doing it the more momentum i got the more um passion i got for it the more opportunity i saw so i really like when you said that when you first went abroad you felt like it was the most alive you've ever felt because mm. that's totally the expression that I use. Mm. Like living abroad or being in another country for me, I feel like I totally come alive, like a little butterfly. I feel like when I'm in the UK, I'm often maybe hibernating a little bit more. But once I get abroad, I totally resonate with that. I'm like, yeah. yes, I'm just like alive and I love it. And like, it's a feeling that I don't get apart from when I'm exploring someone new. It's yeah, a sense of discovery. Yeah, like I completely agree. Like that sense of um, fresh perspective, that sense of exploration, that sense of uh, wonder at what's out there, and how that then feeds back into us and res- how we respond to that. I think is is really key. Definitely. And have you noticed? Because I feel like only in retrospect, sometimes do I see how much um, a traveling experience has shaped me. Can you see a kind of journey of being shaped or evolved through the travels that you've done? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I remember the first time I ever spent a night alone in a, a country in general. I did it was my first, I did a four month stint abroad. Well, actually, I started as a three month stint and then I extended. But I had people meeting me for the majority of these trips. 
but there would be like little day windows where I'd be by myself. And I remember staying at an Airbnb in Milan and my friend had just left. And the next day I was flying to Croatia to meet another friend. And I remember feeling so like I locked the door. I got in, I've got like takeaway food, went and like locked the door, got in my flat before the sun went down because I was so nervous. And now I just laugh about that. because (laughs) There's been a lot of um, confidence building, I guess you could say, in terms of, you know, how the world used to feel like a a scarier place to me. Yeah, I think I can definitely see a character shift just in or evolution, I should say, really, particularly just about learning how I see the people in the world. Mm. I feel like I've shifted a lot more from fear to you know, obviously there's some bad apples, but I, I generally believe most people are good. Travel's had like a, a really positive impact on your well-being. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Understatement of the century. <laughs> <laughs> and I think just, you know, growing up, not just in America, but in the South, the South is a wonderful place. It does get a bad reputation sometimes, you know, because there there are some small-minded people there, but there's a lot of wonderful people there too. Mm. But there are some of the stereotypes that are true where a lot of people um, maybe don't stray as far from the path that they've grown up on. So a lot of people look like them, worship like them, um, are on the same education level. And so there's not compared to a New York or a Chicago where you get a little more diversity and all of that. Mm. It's absolutely a fascination with, wow, I never considered how many different ways there are to do life. There's so many different cultures and and I'm finding this fascination, mind you, in Europe, like, which is not yeah. that different than, you know, it's like this wasn't happening in Peru or in Japan or something that would have been even more of a culture shock. So just to speak volume a little bit into how much of my own bubble I really was in. I can see how it's not just about seeing somewhere amazing. It's deeper than that. Absolutely. And it's like, I guess, like the people, the connection, the culture, um, not just seeing something visual and being excited by it. A a big part of it, too, is the food. I know that sounds, I love food. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's the whole dynamic. Even the little things like the language romance Mm. so much, seeing the different currencies, the different wall outlets. I mean, just so many things that subtle. It doesn't even have to be a huge. It's just the collective subtleties that really have a way of being like, wow, that's different. And that's different. And that's different. And so much is different. And that that excited me. Food is so much part of culture, like the way you deal with it. And Mm. I lived in Italy for a couple of years. And I just love that relationship they have with food. It overflows into how they deal with other people, how they almost just deal with life. Um, So I think food's a really good place to start. Yeah, well, and food is, um, I mean, it's very unifying when you think Mm. about it. Sharing a meal together is one of the first ways to unite people, to connect people. And yeah, someplace like Italy, especially, where that even that's something that's so different. The the pride they take and the the regulations and the restrictions and the the quality and why it's so wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, and we see see in religious contexts as well, like the meal takes center Mm. in almost every world faith. In yeah. some way, there is a sharing of a meal. And I really love the, the, the way that we've picked up on the kind of different cultural approaches to food and, you know, practices, not only in the making, but also in the kind of the mealtime setting. It, it's commonplace, perhaps in some parts of the world to, we might say, say grace, if you're in like a Christian context before a meal. But like in in Japanese tradition, there's also kind of a, a being grateful for the food that's put before you and the, the phrase you say before and after the meal to say to acknowledge mm. that gratitude 
in Albanian culture, there is a phrase that you say before you eat as well that acknowledges the work that's gone into the food by the person who's made it, tulumshum uh, dua. Um, so there's this real sense of the collective cohesiveness that food brings from farming right through to when you're saying thank you at the end of the meal. And sometimes I'm like, I just want to get this in my belly. It looks so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying thanks to anyone. I'm getting it in. <laughs> I did have that. I did have that with a with a bowl of pasta last night. It was fresh pasta, yeah. and it was it was that I just need to eat this immediately moment. So Whitney, we've been um, thinking a little bit about the impact that uh, events and experiences have on us and our well being, but then also the impact that we then have on the well being of others and the well being of the world. Um, and we see this kind of intersection uh, play out where there's that almost that that sweet spot. This is this is what well-being is: a good relationship between us and the world, the world and us, the world and others, others and us. And I wonder what travel might say to that. Where are you seeing the impact of well-being on the world or on other people that you've met on your travels? Yeah, I think ultimately when I think about well-being in relation to the world um, and the impact that travel has on that, I think, well, twofold. I think the environment is a huge part. And I know before I sound hypocritical, I realize carbon emissions and the impact that a lot of flying can have on travel. It is impossible to not leave a carbon footprint as a human being. And so I guess where I'm coming from with travel is being mindful of carbon emissions, being mindful of, yes, all of the ways that you can reduce your carbon footprint. But I also think there's a lot of opportunity to have a positive impact on the world, even, and dare I say, the environment when you're exposed to your own privilege. Like when you realize, when you travel to some of these places where you're like, oh my gosh, I've been, I have so many luxuries. Like, do I actually need just even looking at the, it's it, it's disgusting to me to look at the consumerism that happens. UK is not even on the same level as America, in my opinion, with the way that people just buy, 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 buy. It's so much consumption, so much excess, so much over the top. And I think when you travel and you have those experiences, when when you see how many different people live their life in such a different way, um, I, I do think that it kind of maybe wakes you up a little bit to to realize like I don't actually need all this this stuff and like there are other ways to live the, this life in a beautiful way that is more centered around experiences and people and meals and family and and what you the way that you see other cultures. Of course, not everyone has the opportunity to travel in the way that we have. And, Absolutely, you know we're so lucky for that. There's something really powerful in experiencing something yourself in a completely physical sense not just seeing a tv program about it but being there seeing something with your own eyes that obviously has an impact on us we can do that in our own communities so for me I find it easier to talk to someone about a hard-hitting issue if I have personal experience sure because it's no longer like this abstract well actually I'm telling you about something that I've experienced absolutely and that's really powerful well yeah and I think even just the way you could look at this from a political standpoint too, when, you know, a big debate that you're seeing in America is the people who are saying America first. And, but that kind of almost has this attitude of America only. Like Mm. I worry about myself, you worry about yourself and it's not as much this collective mentality. And I think that's what travel really does is it makes you feel you don't, it doesn't feel like this 
chasm between me and this person from a different country. Like we're both human and we live on the same planet. We should have the same goals to have equal opportunity for everyone to have a safe planet to live on. So I think travel, yeah, it it makes you feel like, no, we are all in this together, as cliche as that may sound. We should have the common goals and we should work together towards those. That's exactly the thing. Like we're seeing this hard swing to a more uh, right political spectrum. And we're seeing this kind of America first. It's very similar to like Thatcherism of, you know, we Britain first. Like, you know, we need Press to sort our own stuff first before we can do anything else. Don't say that word, Whitney. <laughs> Speak not of that. And the argument I often hear is, well, you have to put your own safety mask on before you can put someone else's on. They kind of reference the, 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 the airline. But my response to that is the reason that the, the airplane is crashing is because of us. Like, <laughs> If we're going to extend that metaphor, the reason that the oxygen is depleting in the cabin is not because of some outside influence. Is we've yeah. done that. So to say we have to put our own mask on first is not acknowledging the fact that we're the we're the reason that we need to be wearing a mask. We're the one who lit the plane on fire. <laughs> yeah, Whitney, you were talking a little bit about environmental impact. I wonder if there's uh, some examples that you can think of that speak to the travel industry or specific travelers when it comes to environmental impact? Honestly, when I first got started, mainly because I was trying to save money. But when I would travel, I would always try to minimize the number of flights I was doing. Train generally is more affordable. So I would try and do like, come for three or four months, stay for a long time, and then do like these shorter jaunts or kind of take the train to route my way. There were flights in there too. But I think you're seeing a lot of airlines now, um, while they're aware of their carbon emissions, they're, you're at least seeing the option to tick boxes and, and offset your carbon emissions. So that's something I always tick. I think that's a great start. We talked about this, Luke, but you're seeing more mindful travel at actual destinations. You're seeing more sustainable hotels, sustainable destinations where the materials that they're using, especially I work with a great organization in Belize and they want to make sure that they're they're not encroaching on the local communities, that they're empowering them to work there. They're paying them fair living wages, letting them be experts. Um, They're not just coming in, taking the best land, paying them unfair wages, leaving terrible conditions. So it's how do you make sure that the brands you're supporting when you do travel are conscious and mindful? The more that consumers start demanding that, then the more that brands are going to say, well, we need to, you know, and the more that they start positioning to be better, that's the the step in the right direction. So a bit like last week, we talked about if everybody just uses their pound wisely or thinks about where they're spending it, it can make a difference. And that's kind of what you're saying as well. It can feel intimidating sometimes or discouraging because, you know, while one company may be doing this sustainably, they're not doing that sustainably. Mm -hmm. You can kind of start to feel lost in um, what is right across the board. What should we be prioritizing? But I think the the hopeful thing that I have for the future is that we're having this awakening across the board. I mean, look at this year. Look at, I think people are really starting to ask themselves, how can I be more mindful in all of my purchasing decisions? That's my, my projection anyway. I think our generation is having this enlightening and we want to be conscious and we need to be conscious. You know, we don't have the luxury with the, the way that the, the state of the planet. So we need to be assuming responsibility and just constantly, I guess, back to the question of what does well-being mean? 
I, I googled the the, de- the definition, the Oxford Dictionary of Well-being, and they talked about a state of satisfactory or comfortable. And it was funny because I was like, I don't know that I resonate with the comfortable bit because to me, I think there's a growth mentality of how am I always making optimizations as I go? How am I always trying to be better? So yeah, I, I'm I, I'm optimistic. I know travel may be my my field, but I think across the board, people are starting to to see the importance of how can they be more responsible. Yeah, definitely. That optimism is really refreshing because I know sometimes, and Holly will speak to this, I get into like a funk of, oh my gosh, I can't do anything right. I'm You're compromised mm-hmm. on every single level. If you are a taxpayer in a Western country, um, and if you have disposable income that you spend on anything that's not a necessity, you're compromised and it feels that can feel a little overwhelming. So mm. the optimism is really refreshing. I think it's really important to remember as well that growing and learning is also about making mistakes. And it's really easy for us who have this in mind that we want to improve the world and the things that we do to then tell ourselves off. Do you know what? Maybe there's no perfect option, but choosing any of those companies that do something well, that is better than not doing anything or not thinking about it. Absolutely. And you have to think like there is a there is a sense of responsibility where we ha- say businesses need to do better. But then we always need to be asking ourselves, like, I need to be better too. If I'm staying at a hotel that's not a sustainable, eco-friendly resort, am I reusing my towel? Am yeah. I, you know, am I making suggestions even? When we've been speaking about kind of positive impact and growth, this year in particular for so many people has been uh, a real time of introspection. There has been a real opportunity to take a step back um, and start asking some questions around, you know, what what is good for me? What isn't good for me? How am I growing? What might I need to focus on? And I think that sense of growth and acknowledging that it is a journey is really important and, and holding on to the fact that where we're at today was not where we were at yesterday and probably won't be where we're at tomorrow. But I do feel optimistic that this is a a moment in time. It's not the first. It's not forever, and so I do feel optimistic. Like when people have said, "Oh, aren't you scared for business? Aren't you scared for this? Aren't you?" You know, I'm I'm like honestly no, because I honestly think experiences have never been more important. I think our generation specifically has already kind of you know you really see a shift in that. There's tons of studies on this. You know, from compared to the boomer generation, millennials really champion travel and experiences we care about that way more than stuff and so i think i anticipate we'll get back to a place where we can travel again holly it it reminds me of that quote that was on the it was an instagram um post about travel being very similar to colonialism and trying to kind of get all these stamps in our passport and like you know i want i have to go i want to try this new place and then this new place and then do this new activity and see this new thing and like what we can learn is that there's ways of reducing that and perhaps doing more of what Whitney you were articulating earlier around acknowledging where you can go that is supportive of local community that engages with the people who are native to that that country um, and becomes less about you know I want to visit this country I want to do that I want to do this but rather about saying well what is the experience here um, and what what benefit am I receiving uh, but what benefit am I also returning. We talked about this a lot in our worldview class, Luke, but just the concept of being a global citizen 
I think that ties into travel so much. And that like could be something worth mentioning because I think it's like, what is global citizenship? You know, we talked about a lot of people think that, like you said about it being stamps in your passport or like taking great Instagram photos and seeing like you're so well-traveled, but global citizenship actually is in my opinion, anyway, being more a more mindful citizen of the world and where you travel, how you travel, how you engage with people. But yeah, just think being mindful of the impact that you have wherever you go in the world, whether it's in your hometown or whether it's somewhere that you're traveling. Whitney, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today to offer some of your thoughts, your reflections, and your experiences of being both someone who has traveled the world, but also who encourages other people to travel and engage. It's been been really enlightening. Thank you. Been one of many wonderful, enlightening conversations that we've shared. Thank you for letting this be another one. It was really nice to meet you, Whitney, yeah, and hopefully we'll meet in person we um, with a glass of wine yeah. somewhere. Maybe a bottle. <laughs> of at least one bottle. Let's not be funny. Well, that was just a lovely chat to have with Whitney this morning. Yeah, like I always love having chats with Whitney. It's always so refreshing and just a really encouraging way to view travel and how we engage with the world. I mean, I kind of felt like, because we've got our little screens where we can, where we can see each other, I kind of felt like we were just sat having a chat in her living room with a Christmas tree up. Oh, yeah. There was a little Christmas tree sparkling in the background. Ooh, it was a slimline one. I've never seen one like that before. Why are we talking about this? Absolutely <laughs> We said we need to keep this brief. And now we're talking about her living room. Say yeah, something. Um, thank you again, Whitney. Uh, if you want to see more of what Whitney does, then you can head on over to her Instagram channel, which is blonde underscore Atlas. And we'll be putting the link to that in the show notes as well. If you do follow her on Instagram, please do it for us as well. We're trying to get our follower count up. Thank you. Sympathy vote. Please help. We'll see you again next week for another episode of the World of Wellbeing podcast. That was very polite, Lukey Babes. It Full was. British accent. Goodbye, Pip Pip, and Cheerio. Ta-ra for now.